Church, family, and friends, my name is Israel Martinez, and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor. Um, We are a church plant, so forgive us. We are under renovations, too, so forgive us for the holes in the wall and some of the the funkiness. It's kind of retro, cool, I guess, whatever it is. Uh, We're we're going through a process of some renovations and stuff, so uh, a couple months uh, with that. So bear with us there. Thank you guys for just being gracious. Um, I'm excited, y'all, to get to open up the book of Jonah. So if you would join me, if you have a Bible and a a device, please turn. We're going to read chapter 1 of Jonah, the whole thing, verses 1 through 17, in a sermon uh, titled Fleeing and the Fish. So we're going to see these two episodes in the book of the first two episodes in the book of Jonah. And you see that the book of Jonah, and many have heard this story, maybe you don't know it, it is the story of this prophet Jonah who is called to a certain city to see God save a certain people who didn't deserve it. And you see, Jonah was disobedient in his call because while knowing the truth about God, who Jonah says is slow to anger and compassionate to all people, like Jonah knows this, Jonah still did not want to obey, and he did not want God to save the the Ninevites. And so Nineveh was uh, known as Assyria at the time, a city under Assyria, this big, great, powerful, strong city who did evil things, things I cannot say because you'd you'd be ashamed even probably hearing them. They were, uh, this again, this empire that hated God and did horrible things. And Jonah hated these people and because he saw them doing these evil things. And so his heart, Jonah's heart for the Ninevites, challenges our hearts today, right? You see, uh, this main theme for the book of Jonah is that the sovereign God of all shows compassion and mercy to all. So are we saying about mercy is a big theme in Jonah. I didn't understand the word mercy as a kid. I didn't really understand it for a long time. Um, it's one of those words that we just hear in English and we're like, yeah, it's just a word. We'll talk a little bit about that. You see, oftentimes in life, things get difficult or unclear as to what we are to do and where we are to go in life. And so like Jonah, we can be disobedient and want to go our own way. And not just physically with our dreams or, you know, in our heads with this certain lifestyle or status that we will attain Um, But, um, you know, um, or or these certain plans that we have for ourselves and our future or for our children or for our grandchildren, whatever things we we want, those things aren't bad. But also in our disobedience to love people. We, We can go our own way in our hearts, and our hearts, like the Bible says, can deceive us. And so even when when we are serving God and doing the work of God like Jonah, who was even this prophet of God, like he was the cream of the crop in a sense of of people chosen to say what God was supposed to say. You see, life is oftentimes very difficult and frustrating, and the path does not always seem so clear even for those uh, who we may think have it all figured out. They usually don't, but we think that. Or, or those of us who may feel like, man, we're just lost and confused and we don't know what to do. Who, who, who just don't know uh, what God wants them to do or where God is calling them to go. Again, so we like Jonah, no matter where we are in that, we retreat, right? Or we chase after what we want, which God sees as retreat. We might couch it in ambition, going for something big or going for our own plans. 
God sees that we're actually being disobedient, running away like Jonah from what uh, he has called us to do. And so oftentimes, again, people will even trick themselves into following a will or a plan for their life that is not anything close to God's will or plan for their life. You see, whether we do know God's will or plan, which I think the Bible is clear that we can, or if we seem stuck and we don't know, even God's children, sometimes you're walking well with the Lord and you just don't know what to do in a certain situation, right? It, it, it honestly doesn't matter. Because we can be comforted to know, no matter where you are, and this is kind of a, a big statement for our text today, that in our plans, God directs our steps. Again, that in our plans, this is taken from Proverbs 16.9, and I think a good theme for what's happening in the first uh, chapter of Jonah, in a, it, we can be comforted to know that in our plans, God actually directs our steps. We'll sing a song that says these exact same words based on Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and then um, Proverbs 16.9. And, and so, so, y'all, whether you are serving God or you're lost and not serving God, wherever you find yourselves today, whether you have a life, a plan for your life, the point is that God has a plan for our lives that supersedes our plan and will for our own lives. And so, again, we can often put our will before God's. But as we enter the story of Jonah, our text today, again, in Jonah 1, uh, 1 through 17, we'll see that the text allows us to worship God, which is the point of what we're doing here. It's the point of why the church has gathered uh, for thousands of years on Sunday, is to worship God and then to learn that God is sovereign. And so his plans will come about. And so in our plans, God directs our steps, and so he disciplines his children and offers salvation to all nations because he is compassionate and he has a plan for us today. And so said shortly, we can see that the text teaches us that in our plans, God directs our steps. And so let's read our text, which is a little longer, but if you'd hang in there, read this engaging narrative story of Jonah 1, 1 through 17. Again, Jonah 1, 1 through 17, and it reads as a story. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, 
And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish of the fish three days and three nights. And so we see, again, uh, the big idea uh, theme for this text is Jonah's fleeing, and then he ends up in a fish. So Jonah's fleeing in the fish. And again, as we enter the story of Jonah, our text in Jonah 1, 1 through 17, allows us to worship and learn that God is sovereign. We're going to talk about that. So we're going to take some time and explain this word sovereignty. Uh, So God is sovereign, so his plans will come about. And so in our plans, God directs our steps. And so he disciplines his children and offers salvation to all nations. Because he is compassionate and he has a plan for us today. So again, said shortly, uh, we can say that the, see that the text teaches that in our plans, God directs our steps. And so, to, to review and set us up to walk through the text, we're going to firstly see in Jonah and learn that God is sovereign in his plans and so his plans will come about. And we see that in verses 1 through 3. God is sovereign in his plans and his plans will come about. Secondly, we'll learn that God is sovereign in our plans So God directs our steps in his discipline to his children. We'll see that in verses 4 through 13. And then thirdly, we're going to learn that God is sovereign to all nations. And so he offers salvation because he is compassionate. We're going to see that in verses 14 through 16. And then lastly, we will learn that God had a plan for Jonah, and he has a plan for us today. I think verse 17 helps us see that. So let's look at Jonah again uh, Verses 1 through 3, where again we're going to see this idea, this first thing that we're going to look at, that God is sovereign in his plans, and so his plans will come about. And so look at verses 1 again with me. We're just going to walk through the text, and I'll uh, explain some things about the text. And so please, yeah, keep your eyes and and, and, and mind kind of praying and and looking through the text with me. So it says, now, the story kind of hits. Now the, the word of the Lord, like God's word hits. The, the L-O-R-D, anytime you see L-O-R-D, sometimes you may see capital, uh, a lowercase like L, lowercase R-D. The difference here is this is the personal name of God, Yahweh, which is given to Moses in Exodus where he says, I am, I am who I am. And this is the same thing Jesus says when they ask him who he is. He says, I am. It's this one word in, in Greek, which is uh, saying the same word that he said in Exodus. So this is the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, we would say. So that's the way we say Jehovah or Yahweh. A uh, way we can see it in English. It's the personal name of God. 
So it says, the word of Yahweh came to Jonah. So this is interesting. Uh, Jonah means a dove. And there are uh, positive uses of the word dove in the Bible. But in Hosea, we understand in the Old Testament, there's a negative use for the word dove. Hosea 7.11 helps us see that. And that's kind of the point of Jonah's name. He's a silly, senseless dove, like a small little bird that's not really just flying around. Um, because it says it's contrasted with the name of his father. So it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, this dove, uh, the son of Amatai, so the son of my faithfulness, or the son of truth, saying, look at verse 2, arise. So God tells him to go. He tells him exactly where to go. Go to Nineveh. And it says that great city, great is used in Jonah 14 times to, to make a point. And he says, now this is what you're going to do. You're going to go there and you're going to call out against it. You're going to call them out. For what? For this evil, the darkness that has come before me, God says. Nineveh is offending me, God says. And you, Jonah, are the prophet to go preach to them. In verse 3, it says, but Jonah rose to flee. And we see now Jonah's action. He starts to flee. To where? To Tarshish. Tarshish was known. There's different opinions. Most people think it is Spain. The point of, if you think of, here's Israel. Here is uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? And then this is where Jonah, he's dropped, he's in Joppa, he's in Jerusalem. The point is that uh, Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh, which is modern-day kind of Iraq. I served in, uh, in the Air Force, and I uh, served in close to, to uh, Balad, which is not too far from Baghdad. But north, our pilots would fly, and, and they would fly over Mosul, which is the modern-day Nineveh. And so uh, Utah is much like Iraq. It's dirt and, and, and desert here, and then we go up the snow-capped mountains. So Mosul is just like snow-capped, beautiful mountains. Our pilots would be like, it's like we're in Salt Lake because it was so beautiful. So anyway, I always thought that was cool. I didn't know. I was, I was close to where Nineveh was supposed to be. But the point is, he's supposed to come here from, from Israel to here, and Jonah's like, nope, I'm gone. I'm going to Tarshish. And then we think Tarshish was Spain. So if you think Spain would have been over here, the farthest like, place that they knew at that point. And so because of that, we see, what does it say in verse 3? That Jonah rose to flee. Like he's doing it out of like, no, I'm out of here. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That means he was at the temple in Jerusalem worshiping because that's where the Holy of Holies would be in the temple. So Jonah was in Jerusalem getting, in a sense, his orders from the Lord. And he's like, I don't want to go. And so then this word is used in verse 3. He went down. This is a euphemism, a phrasing used that's trying to clean up some language. This means that he went down is a euphemism for death. The point is it's saying he is now going to his death. It says he went down to Joppa. Joppa is modern-day Tel Aviv, if you've heard of that kind of Jaffa. It's called uh, uh, Jaffa today or the Tel Aviv-Yafo area. And so that's beautiful, like off the coast. So he's going where he could get a boat. He knew where to go. And it says, and he found a ship going to this Tarshish. He's like, I got a ticket to Spain. I'm getting out of here. And so he paid the fare. Like Jonah knew he was being disobedient. He paid the money. He paid the fare. And he went down into it, into the ship. It's again, the word to go or to flee. It's just emphasizing that with them, with these people he didn't even know, to Tarshish. Again, it says to remind us he was going away from the presence of the Lord. And so the story of Jonah Again, it is flows in seven episodes, which work like an A, B, A, B, I mean, A, A, B, B, C, C, and then it kind of ends, boom, and it kind of lets us know uh, the D, the main point. Um, but today we're going to look at two episodes. So the first episode is, well, I would say, episode 1A, where we see Jonah's commissioning by God and his flight or his fleeing. 
And this is in verses 1 through 3, what we just walked through. And so what we learned in our first episode is that God is sovereign in his plans. God had a plan for Jonah. Jonah has his own plans. Um, But the point is God's plans are going to come about. We're going to start to see that. And that's the point. It's kind of the humor in the story that God is saying. So we see that God is sovereign. This is important. We have to learn this idea. Sovereignty has to do with reigning as a king. Right? The word, it's this word reign is in there, to reign over a kingdom. So the word again, reign, is embedded in the word sovereignty or so sovereignty. You say it in the English accent, sovereignty. You hear it better. In English, we say things weird, you can't hear it. Sovereignty. Um, uh, so the word reign is embedded in this word sovereignty. And you see the roots this, or this etymology of this word sovereign, um, which comes from the Latin sobre or over meaning above or over something, and, and the word reign as in to reign or to rule a kingdom. Again, uh, this word sovereignty is about someone who is reigning over everything. And in this case, in our text today, we're talking about our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is specifically identified as Yahweh in our text of Jonah today. And you see, understanding this doctrine, meaning the teaching of God's sovereignty, is essential to truly believing the actual true God and not a false God. The true God of the Bible, we have to rest in his sovereignty. The thing that he's over everything, things that we don't understand, hard things, good things, understanding that God is actually in control and that we, our three enemies, yourself, myself, we, the world, and Satan, are not in control of things. That's is super essential, guys, to understand the true God of the Bible because you can be living your whole life and, and be serving a false God. God's sovereignty gives us rest and peace that God is actually over everything, even the difficult and hard things that we cannot understand, that we don't want to understand. Jonah didn't want to look at Nineveh's sin. He said they're disgusting and gross, and there's disgusting and gross and hard things that happen right now probably as we're talking in Dallas right now, things that we would hate like Jonah hates. We have to resonate with Jonah. Jonah was looking for holiness. He wanted uh, uh, a holy people. And so that's why he's angry at Nineveh, because he sees that they are not holy. They don't understand this God. And so Jonah's like, I don't want them to know him. They don't deserve him. You see, in God's word, there are many stories of seemingly hard and crazy or bad things happening that seem to be out of God's control or out of his sovereignty. And we're like, where are you, God? And you may be tempted to think that God is not sovereign or in control of things that you face or have faced in the past. This kind of thinking, while honest and very human, we've probably all been there. Guys, it can be very sinful if we don't know this doctrine of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He is in control. And so much like in our story today of Jonah, where things seem to get out of control... From our small and and finite perspective, we can actually learn that God is sovereign. He's actually been with Jonah the whole time. And we can learn, uh, again, that, that God is sovereign. And the whole time Jonah is rebelling, God is with him. And so in Genesis, when Joseph addresses his brothers who lied and sold him into slavery... Joseph says at the end, as he's become second in command, it's like God knew what he was doing, right? Joseph had all kinds of trash and and, and lies told about him. He got put in jail. Um, He got accused of trying to uh, sleep with a man's wife. 
But in chapter 50, 20, when, when Genesis is about to end, Joseph says this to his brothers. As for you, brothers, who sold me into slavery, what you meant for evil against me, he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Huh, it's like God knows what he's doing. Satan is not stronger than God. Demons are not stronger than God. You're not stronger than God. I'm not stronger than God. Romans 8.28 helps us connect the New Testament theology to this kind of thinking as well. The sovereignty of God. It says, uh, Paul says, as we know that for those who love God, those who love God, those of us who are his children, who know this king of kings, it says, all things, not some, all things. I think all the darkness, all the brokenness, all the sin that people have done, all that is, it's not good, that's evil, but all that works together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. The point is that God takes sin and the bad and makes good happen. He actually does. Ultimately, this is culminated in the redemption of Christ. Through his redemption, that that us as, as his children, those who know him, can actually know him and have life. So again, as we look at the first three verses, a good biblical understanding It is, again, what that first point was teaching, namely that God is sovereign in his plans, and so his plans will come about. You see, no matter what we want, God's will is going to come about, and we cannot manipulate or change God's plans. Now, also, I'm going to take a little tangent to help things make sense. In God's sovereignty, he has given us a will. He has given us an ability to respond, to repent and believe, and to grieve and have emotion and passion and zeal for God. We don't have to be bumps on a log. Remember when I first got to America, people were like, what is a bump on a log? What is that? But I think I get it now. Just something that's there that does nothing, right? We actually have the ability to, to love God and to be passionate and to be zealous, to make disciples, to love him and love people. But the Bible also says this, that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. This means that Satan has a sense of power and is on a leash in a sense. He can't do what he wants, but he's on a leash. And God has allowed him to be on that leash. You may be like, why? Again, because of this, God gives men and Satan freedom in a sense to disobey and to sin. The only real freedom you have is to sin, to be a slave to sin, and me too, to love sin. That's the only freedom you have. Freedom is found in Christ. All of Galatians is talking about that. Freedom is not found in like, I want to do this thing or that thing. All you're doing is being a slave to sin. Again, God gives men and Satan freedom in a sense to disobey and sin and be culpable. You know Spanish, culpable, meaning at fault for sin. It's a legal term. You're culpable. It's a weird word, right? You are at fault. That's the normal word we use in Spanish like as a kid. Culpable, like you're at fault. Man, When you hear it in English, you're like, whoa, that's a fancy word. But the point is, guys, that only in Christ's salvation do we have a true, actual freedom and an actual will. In our sin, we are actually just uh, slaves to it, and we're not free. We only have this will to sin more and more. And the book of Jonah will teach us that God is actually patient, and he's slow to anger. We're going to sing Psalm 145, which says this, which Jonah refers to. Later in the book, 
we see that God, that God in his patience, the, the sovereign God of all, actually shows compassion and mercy to all. That's the big theme for Jonah. That the sovereign God of all shows compassion and mercy to all, to the Ninevites and to his children who can be stubborn and disobedient. You see, God has allowed his sovereignty um, and he's allowed evil to have its time. But this is temporary as God is the one who will judge and make things right. But he's patient. Remember, he could crush it all right now. But he's patient. He's loving. He's slow to anger. Believe that about him. Jonah knew that. Jonah proclaims that. You see, because if there is no struggle or evil... We don't understand sin. We don't understand the depths and the brokenness of sin is why God had to allow sin to come into the world. Because if there was no sin, you couldn't see your own brokenness. You couldn't see God. Think about this. Genesis 3, 5, after Adam and Eve had just sinned, it clearly says, For God knows that when you eat of it, this tree, your eyes will be opened. To what? You will be like God. You'll be more in his image. What? Knowing good and evil. God is the creator of everything. He knows good and evil. He knows all the things. And so in a sense, this is one big way. We're already created in God's image, but now we're even more like God's image. Even after sin, it says that all humanity, again, the, the, the point is that we're all like God in this sense. We're similar to God in, in a way that we are made in his image is how we now know after the fall, good and evil. Good and evil. We only know good. We're just like, we don't really understand. Right? It's like a, a parent telling their kid, man, you're just going to have to fall. Through the, you're just going to have to fall to understand how much it hurts. Or a little kid is going to touch the burning stove, and you're like, they just don't get it. They want to keep touching the stove. And you're like, sometimes they just got to touch the stove. Once they touch the stove, they know, oh, snap. That hurts. So because of God's plan and his allowing sin to then be something we actually understood, we can then see that we are actually sinful and broken and that we need God. And God, being all sovereign and wise, knew that evil had to be present along with Satan for us to understand more of what evil actually is and more of our own evil sin. Nineveh didn't have a clue initially. They thought they were good, just like a lot of us in America or whatever country you're from. We all have our own cultural trappings and sin. But through Christ's salvation, we can see because of God has allowed sin that we actually need God more than we ever thought we did. You see, the book of Jonah keeps building on this theme of the sovereignty of God and connects it to the human story and state specifically in Jonah's calling and fleeing. And so in Jonah's sin, we see firstly again God's sovereignty and that the, that first point that God's sovereignty in his, it, God is sovereign in his plan, so his plans will actually come about no matter what Jonah does. And so this then leads us to our second point, that God is sovereign in our plan, so God directs our steps in his discipline to his children. So this point aligns with episode two of the book of Jonah, which is the episode of Jonah and now the pagan sailors, and these are going to be contrasted. So let's look through the text again to see how God is sovereign in Jonah's plans and how he directs Jonah's steps. Verse 4 says, But the Lord now, Yahweh, responds, and he hurls a great wind upon the sea. And there is this tempest, a storm. And it says, So that now 
the ship threatened to break up. The ship's about to break up, and these mariners were afraid, it says. This word's going to be contrasted to Jonah. Fear, the fear of the Lord, afraid. And said it each, each, they had different gods. Who knows where these guys are from? They're just crying out to their random gods who aren't the real gods, lowercase g. And it says, now they, they mimic God. You see that? They hurl the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah does not mimic God. What does Jonah do? He had gone down, went down to die. <laughs> he doesn't realize it. To the inner part of the ship. Huh. Kind of like he's going to be in the inner part of the belly. And he laid down and was fast asleep. It's like a picture for his impending death. And so this captain comes out and he says, Ira matey. No, I don't know what he says. But he says, he came out and he said, hey, what do you, I, I imagine I'm talking like a pirate even though it's not the right time. Um, what do you mean, you sleeper? Wake up. He's like, arise, call out to your God, man. Maybe you can help us, right? Perhaps the God, it says, this, this captain doesn't know. Perhaps your God can do what my God can't. You see, perhaps he'll give us a thought. Maybe he'll think about us. Maybe that we won't perish. We're going to see the, the Ninevites later say something similar. The king says that. So the nations are being more like Jonah should be. That's interesting. The people that Jonah hates are, are, doing, are being more obedient or starting to think more the way like Jonah should. You see here the sailors are in trouble because of Jonah's disobedience, right? But God still has a plan, and it seems that the pagan sailors, again, were starting to conform to God's plan, even if they didn't realize it. That's interesting. You see, that word pagan is a word used in a religious context. It just means people who worshipped a bunch or, or various gods. This is usually the time before Christ when people would worship all kinds of things. You kind of notice that there's a little bit of seed of that, but that kind of stopped after Christ. This, the, now we're kind of in a secular uh, age. Where it, it's, uh, I digress. We'll, we can talk about that another time. But the word pagan, the way these guys worship was a different kind of thing, very similar to how the Romans and the Greeks would worship. They believed many gods. This was way but, you know, uh, before that time. About 700 years before. But let's look at verse 4 as the story continues. And it says, and they, these pagan sailors, they say to one another, they're coming to the plan. They start to think they're the ones that have the plan, right? God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Come, let us cast lots, this random system of discerning something like rolling dice, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. They, they, I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. Somebody did something wrong. That's kind of how they thought back in the day. And in this case, they were right. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They're like, uh-huh. We knew it. And so in this seemingly random system of casting lots, much like rolling dice, the lot fell on Jonah. You see God's sovereignty, especially in what to human eyes seems like a random chance, like random chance or coincidence. God's all over this. Verse 8 continues. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come. They're like, they're, they're, they're uh, you know, and, uh, asking Jonah all these questions, and they want to know. They're like interrogating him. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah in verse 9 says, and he said to them, I'm sure very proudly, I'm a Hebrew. Like, and I fear the Lord. Remember, the sailors were afraid. And so now Jonah's saying, I fear Yahweh. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's theology is right. He's saying the right thing. And then the men were like now exceedingly, you see that, like greatly afraid. Oh, man. Again, they're responding more uh, to how a God-fearer should respond. And it says, uh, and then they say, what is, it, what is this that you have done? They probably said man in Hebrew or whatever, or whatever language they spoke. Come on, man. For the men knew that he was fleeing 
from the Lord, presence of the Lord. They knew he was freeing, freeing, fleeing from the temple because he told them. So along the journey before he went to sleep, he probably told them, or during this, you know, when they wake him up, he said, man, I'm, I've been fleeing from my God because I don't want these people to, be, to know him. And they're like, whoa, bro, I think your God's stronger than you think. And so it seems that Jonah shared again that he was fleeing from the true God, which the sailors start to recognize God, Yahweh, as this powerful God because of the storm and the circumstances. And Jonah says he fears God, but it is the pagan sailors who are exceedingly afraid or fearful. You see, the story starts to show that the, the sailors are fearing God more than Jonah actually does. And the sailors recognize God's sovereignty while Jonah was asleep ignoring it. Look at verse 11. It says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. In verse 12, he said to them, Pick me up. Jonah's like, Hey, I got a plan. This is my plan. Pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. Remember how it started? God was the hurler. The pagan sailors were the hurler. Now Jonah is a hurler, <laughs> a thrower, right? God's sovereignty. This, again, is this reaming of God's sovereignty. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. You see, but then Jonah's like, oops, uh-oh, my bad. Jonah, too, recognizes God's sovereignty. He's like, oh, this is my bad, and realizes that this is all happening because of his disobedience. So verse 13 continues saying, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. So the men in their own will, too, the sailors, were trying to be in control of the situation, but they can't. Said so they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. We see God's sovereignty over the sea and natural things. This is a theme in Jonah. All uh, the sailors, uh, we see that, that that He's over their uh, the sailors' safety and their fate. We see that God is sovereign now. Again, what that second point in our plans. So God actually directs our steps in His discipline to His children. We saw that in verses four through thirteen. And so this proverb I'm about to read, Proverbs sixty nine. Again, is one of the best verses to understand the sovereignty of God in our will or our plans, which is exactly what happens here in Jonah. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 69. We're going to sing this as our first song of response to some of these words. It says, the heart of a man plans his way. Sounds like Jonah, right? And sounds like me and you. But the Lord establishes his steps. You see that happening in Jonah? Again, we're going to sing this later, Proverbs 69. If you, you can even remember this, I would encourage you to. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord, Yahweh, establishes his steps. So we can see, secondly, that God is sovereign in our plans. So God directs our steps in his discipline to his children. God disciplined Jonah and directed his steps intentionally and with a plan. And so that second point allows us to see the third point, which comes from Jonah 1, 14 through 16, which allows us to see that God is sovereign to all nations, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And so he offers salvation because he is actually compassionate. When Jonah, um, Jonah knows that, the sailors are like, man, this is a, this is a scary God. But we got to get a whole picture of who God is. We can see God as the scary God or the compassionate God. I'm like, I don't want his will to work out like Jonah or the sailors. And God said, no, see me. See the complete me. So in God's plan, he still was sovereign over Jonah's disobedience. And he used it for the good of the pagan sailors we see in episode 2. Look at the text with me as the story continues in verse 14 saying, Therefore, they, the sailors, now they call out to God. They respond to the Lord, to Yahweh. They say his name, oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. 
And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. They're like, man, we don't, we don't deserve you, Yahweh. Mercy. Ever heard of the word mercy? The word mercy, um, there's grace. Grace is like something that's given to you. Mercy is something that's not. It's like something you deserve, like a slap. You did something bad as a kid. You deserve, you deserve jail time. Mercy is saying, I'm taking that away. That's the difference. Grace is, and they go together. They're two sides of the same coin. But this is mercy. Jonah deserves punishment, right? But God says, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to show even these sailors mercy. It says, therefore the sailors called out to the Lord Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. They're calling out to him. You see, the sailors now know that they need Yahweh's salvation, his deliverance, his rescue, like actually from the water. But after that, they see who he is. So they actually repent and they turn to Yahweh and believe in him and recognize his sovereignty in their lives in this situation. They listened to God and listened to Jonah, who was a prophet, meaning this messenger of God who spoke God's truth. Jonah still prophesied in a sense. He, he, he still, through his disobedience, got, people were still coming to the Lord. And so they're like, man, we got to get rid of this guy. And they asked God to get rid of the guy, <laughs> of Jonah. So Jonah requests to be thrown into the sea. And so the sailors are like, sounds good to us, bro. Let's get rid of you because you were causing a storm. They throw him into the sea, knowing he would probably die. Jonah was willing to die in his disobedience. That's ugly, right? He didn't care. He's like, man, I, don't, I just want to die. I don't care. I don't want those people to know God. That shows his heart. Verse 15 continues saying, So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. That word hurled again. And the sea stopped, ceased from its raging. And so then we see the sailors had peace. Jonah's disobedience caused chaos and a literal storm. But God made it good in the fact that the sailors actually were saved and became believers of Yahweh. How do we know that? Verse 16 makes this clear. It says, the men feared the Lord. That's a synonym for loving God. That's the Old Testament. Remember this whole afraid. Jonah says he fears God. Now that we see the sailors actually fear the Lord exceedingly, greatly, a lot. And they now offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This shows us that they converted now to being Jews or to Judaism. So sometimes when we read a story in the Bible, we can assume like that that just happened like in two seconds. They just... And they're like, here's a sacrifice. That's not really what, 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 what's happening. If you know the Bible and understand a little bit of history, um, again, we can put a chronology or a time on a setting in the Bible that's not actually there. And so one may assume verse 16 just happens real fast, like immediately. Um, but um, I think the salvation happened immediately. But they had, it says they made a sacrifice and made vows. So we know a little biblical history and even modern history. We know that the Jews would only offer this kind of sacrifice to God at the temple in Jerusalem, which was about 40 miles away. So that means it's about a day and a half uh, journey. And so that's interesting that the sailors then actually then go to Jerusalem. Remember, Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord in the temple. Now the sailors are going to go and offer a sacrifice in the presence of the Lord. And so... Then we see that the, the, the story kind of takes a pause and ends. It's the fish vomited, this disgusting word. Jonah somewhere around Joppa. I think it shows God kind of displeased of Jonah, which is what most people believe happened. That He landed back close to where he was starting, <laughs> Joppa. And then the sailors would have, again, had to take in that day and a half journey to Jerusalem to convert to Judaism, which is what they actually did. And so we see the sailors become God-fearers, even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience and sin. And God is just that good. 
Guys, he turns evil to good. And so we can know our third point is true from what the text uh, says. Uh, and we see in verses 14 through 16 that God is sovereign to all nations. And we're going to see this theme again in Jonah. So he offers salvation because he's actually compassionate. And we see that our gracious God, we see him rescue and call them to themselves. These sailors in Nineveh is a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ to all nations. And I also believe these sailors would then be men who, like David and others in the Old Testament, were looking to, and the Bible tells us, and for the Messiah's return, uh, uh, who would bring salvation, who would be Jesus. And so this allows us to see our final point from verse 17. And it's just, it just says, And the Lord appointed a fish, a great fish, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. And so just like God had a plan for Jonah, which we're going to learn about more in the following weeks, we, we saw that God had a plan for the sailors. And y'all, that means God has a plan for us and your life today. He's not out of control. He's in control. He's sovereign. And so we see this part of the story, which some would even say has a comical element to it. Jonah was drowning in the water, and God uses this fish, this, what, I don't know what kind of big old fish or some kind of whale thing, um, to preserve his life, again, this phrasing of three days and three nights is what happens to our king, Jesus, right? It's a euphemism for possible death. That's how that word was used in the ancient Near East back in the day. Three days and three nights, man, oh, yeah, you're going to die. So the point is that God was not done with Jonah, and he's not done with you. God had a plan for Jonah, and he has a plan for us today. And guys, Jesus was the plan. This awesome, perfect Messiah who is the only one who could defeat sin and death. The one who converted the sailors, uh, who these sailors are now waiting for this Messiah to come. That one, Jesus, was the plan. And, and Jesus tells us uh, this plan. Look, open with me to Matthew 12, 38 through 41. And we're going to see the setting, um, again, of what is known as the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus is, the setting of this is Jesus has just been called, um, sorry, he's just been called um, Satan. And so we see um, the sign of Jonah here. Listen to this. And we're going to see that uh, Jesus actually had a plan. Look at this. Verses, uh, Matthew 12, 38 through 41. So it says, Then some of the scribes and uh, Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. They're like, we want to see a sign. I feel like this evil kind of voice in my head. Sign. They want to see something miraculous. Verse 39 says, But Jesus answered them and said, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, Jesus was the plan, and God has a plan. He had a plan for Jonah, and he has a plan for us today. You see, God's plan for Jonah impacts us today. We just read it. Jesus said there's no other sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What does that mean? We're going to be talking about this more and more in our Jonah series. But do you know this Messiah who is greater than Jonah? Can you look at the story of Jonah and see Jesus as the sailors did? You see, God has a plan for Jonah, and he has a plan for you where he's in control and sovereign. God's plan was Jesus and his gospel, and the book of Jonah and our text today teach us that Jesus was the plan. 
Do you see the sign of Jonah? Does the sign of Jonah give you energy and, and joy and zeal and compassion? Do you mimic God now like the sailors did, or are you like Jonah? You see this gospel of creation where God brought everything and made everything good and eventually because of the fall, right, allowed us to know that there was evil and sin and that we were broken, that we needed this perfect Messiah's sacrifice to save us from our own sin and brokenness. And then Jesus would be the redemption for that. He would be the one that would come and he would appease the wrath or the anger of God in his death so that in his creation, namely his children, his chosen, his babies could be redeemed. And we would be delivered by his atonement, meaning his covering for our sin and death. And in Christ's sin, I mean in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, we now as humanity have a response. Our response is what? To repent and believe. To do what the sailors did, not what Jonah did. To repent and believe, meaning to turn from our sin in Satan's kingdom and to turn to the kingdom of God in, re in repentance and belief or faith. It's the same idea in uh, Greek. To turn to the Holy Spirit's power. And that brings us to the end of the gospel story that one day there will be a new creation, a restoration where Christ promised that he will make things right. No more tears, no more pain. There'll be a glorious future. This is what we're looking for. Christ will purge sin and evil. He will be the judge. He will set things right. And he will usher in righteousness and peace where guys are going to see God's glory forever. And so sometimes we may ask, God, what are you doing? Are you in control? I, I don't see it. And we may have sin in our past or plans that we forced on God like Jonah. We may have years of disobedience behind us, and we feel just like Jonah, though. At fault for the storm and our troubles and plans and all the, the mess that we've brought on other people. But remember, God had a plan for Jonah, and he has a plan for us today. God can change all that for those who will repent and believe. If it's for the first time, y'all, it's for uh, the, the, the millionth time. Come to Christ. Keep repenting and believing our triune God every moment and of every day. This is how we abide. His ultimate plan for you is to love him, to be saved, and to be rescued by him like the sailors were. Will you be rescued by our king? Don't be like Jonah. Be like the sailors. Repent and believe the gospel. Live a life uh, not with your own plans in mind, but rather a life of obedience and flourish in God's plans for your life. Remember, our text in Jonah 1, 1 through 17 allowed us to worship God and learn that God is sovereign, so his plans will come about. And so in our plans, God directs our steps, y'all. He disciplines his children and offers salvation to all nations because he is actually compassionate and he has a plan for us today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We need you, Lord. And so as we respond... Lord, thinking of your mercy and your grace, how wonderful you are to us. Lord, let us just sing and respond to you now. We need you, Lord. We love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.